In the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, the disciples come to Jesus after he's been telling them the parable, and they ask him, um, Lord, why do you teach to them in parables? Don't you want them to know the truth? Now, uh, Jesus answers them, and let me find it here real quick. And the disciples, chapter, verse 10, chapter 13, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Now, Jesus is being really gracious to the disciples here, because in a subtle way the disciples were asking the question, Why do you teach them in parables? Giving the idea that somehow or another they didn't understand. Why would you teach them in a way that they, you know, something, make it hard for them? But the disciples didn't understand. And they were in a subtle way trying to give the idea, well, we understand, but these people probably don't understand. So, um, but they were hoping that Jesus would answer, you know, explain it to them. But Jesus said, for who, uh, he says, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him will be given, and he will have abundance. But to whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And it goes on to quote the prophecy from Isaiah. Um, the title of my message is Seeing What You Look At. That was a, an admonition that Kerry Reams, I don't know any of you, are any of you familiar with Kerry Reams and, and his work? Uh, he, he did contributed to some of the knowledge we have and, and uh, how to develop healthy soil. But he would always admonish his listeners to see what you look at. And you would think, well, that's, that's kind of silly. Don't you actually see what you look at? Well, Jesus just said here, the seeing they don't see. And hearing they don't hear. Is that a problem? Well, let's look at um, Proverbs 29.18. Where there is no vision, what happens? People perish. So to not be able to see might be a problem. I want to read the version. That's from the King James Version. The New King James Version says... Where there is no revelation or no revealing, the people cast off restraint. The disciples didn't understand Jesus. Why didn't they understand him? Why is it that they didn't see? The people didn't understand. They didn't see. Um, We're here studying agriculture. And if you were Satan and you wanted to be sure that someone didn't have access to the truth, what would you do? First, let me ask you this. Do you think Satan knows the Bible? Do you think he's read the book Ob Christ Objects Lessons? Or the book Education? 
Do you think he knows what God's purpose is? Do we know what God's purpose is? Narratives are not truths. And perceptions are not reality. This is what's going on here. If you were the devil, what you would want to do, if you knew that if people had access to the Word of God, if they had access to the garden, that they would learn the truth. Then you would have to create a different narrative to obscure that truth. You would have to divert people's attention from that knowledge. And so you have to create a different narrative. This is the world that we live in today. Because when you create that different narrative, you create different perceptions. For example, um, when you look at a lot of people's idea of agriculture, let's take organic agriculture, for example. The perceptions are based on the narrative that they believe, which is based on evolution. And so if it's based on evolution, the perception is, is that, and the narrative says that nature is advancing. But what does the Bible say about that? It's waxing old. It's groaning under the curse. But would the actions be different if you understood it that way, as opposed to nature is advancing? It would be different, wouldn't it? So you have to you have to change the narrative. You have to give people a different narrative than what the, what the truth is, so that you can lead them. Let's look at the world today. Um, if you wanted somebody to be obscured from the truth, then you would have to convince them. Well, I think Justin on the devotional Monday morning shared one of the ways is to convince people that farmers are ignoramuses, and they can't do anything but. Um, they can't do anything intelligent, so they have to do agriculture. But let me give you a different perspective on that. Do you know that in order to succeed at agriculture, at farming, at growing things, you have to have a wider knowledge of more disciplines than any other profession or vocation there is? You have to have a broader mind and a deeper understanding of more vocation, of more disciplines than anybody else. So is it true that farmers can only do something or can't do anything that requires intelligence? The world teach the, the, the narrative in the world today is that farmers, you know, the farming, well, let me just say this. I grew up in ag around agriculture. How many of you grew up around agriculture? How many of you saw problems increasing? I didn't, I didn't want to have anything to do with agriculture. I spent a lot of time on farms. We had a lot of fun. Me and my brother, he was a year older than me, we'd go somewhere every summer and we'd be milking cows or throwing, cutting and throwing hay, baling hay and throwing it, sorting it. Um, we used to love riding in the, in the, the wagon when we, my uncle was harvesting cotton and the cotton balls were, you know, balls were blowing into the thing and we'd be running around back there dodging cotton balls and, but I also saw that they were having more and more disease and pest pressure. Their yields were going down. And that what they were getting paid was also going down. And so their, their costs, I had friends who had 
were severely injured or killed. I mean, acquaintances from the, of the family who were severely injured or killed from chemical spills or accidents. Um, I didn't really want to have anything to do with that. And I don't know, Mary made people, if they really saw it the way it was. Did we have fun? Yeah, we were, we were kind of na naive until we started getting a little bit older to the realities of it all. You know the ironic thing? Um, when I first uh, came into the church, learned, learned the message, and, and uh, came into the church, the, the health message just blew me away. I, I couldn't fathom why this wasn't being ta taught in school. Of course, I was still naive about a lot of that. And I, I decided to go back to school and, and try to go to medical school to become a, a doctor, a physician. But I didn't want to practice medicine. I wanted to pra you know, do public health or, or lifestyle medicine, I guess you, maybe you could call it, where I wanted to educate people on good health principles. And so I did. I went back to school. And um, I, I, I attended La Sierra. This is quite a few years ago now, um, nearly 30. And I, I took a, an organic gardening class there just because I needed electives and it sounded interesting to me. and It happened to be the last agriculture class that they taught there. The farm shut down that year and it was done. Um, but in that class, I was sitting listening to the teacher, the professor, and he was sharing about him and a, a friend every, every year would go to the mission field and they would, they would go to these villages and they would teach them how to, to grow things. And the goal was to help them to be more independent and to be able to, to have a better life and everything. Uh, and when he was sharing that, this voice came to me and said, I want you to be a farmer. And here I am thinking I'm preparing to go to medical school and, and I already shared with you my attitude towards agriculture. And I hear this voice that I was pretty confident of who it was, where it was coming from. I, I want you to be a farmer. And, and I, I resisted that. So God had to, to press the issue a little bit. And so the, the MD-PhD program, which I was hoping to get into, Loma Linda shut it down that year. And so I said, okay. See, I was seeing things my way, and God was seeing things the way he knew I wanted them. But I was, do you ever get yourself in a situation where you, you think you're doing the right thing, and in reality it's the wrong thing? God knew my heart. He knew what I was wanting to do, what, how I was wanting to help people. And so I, uh, I said about, then it was, okay, uh, I'll just switch majors. I'll, I'll go to a different school where I can get training in agronomy and soil science. And that voice came back to me again and very clearly said, no, I will teach you. And so I left school, going home not knowing. All I knew was what I knew about agriculture, and God's telling me he's going he's to teach me. And so I, I go home and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, where do I go from here, what I do. Um, the funny thing is that Loma Linda decided to reopen that MD-PhD program right after I left school. Do you think God had any hand in that? Uh, 
And so the process started, and I won't, I won't take all the time to, to, um, to share what transpired, but it was line upon line and precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. When I came across, uh, actually the biggest part of that was when I was uh, helping with the farm at Eden Valley in Colorado, and Neil Kinsey, who some of you know or, or have heard from me, came and did a, a, a three-day presentation, self-fertility presentation there. And about an hour into it, it was a whole three days, but about an hour into that, that voice came again. He said, this is what I want you to learn. This is what you need to know. And after the three days were over, I could understand why God said, this is what you need to know. Because it, uh, as I went back and I began considering it and looking at, if you were in my class, you could see that I don't take anything unless the biblical principles are consistent with the scientific principles. And so I went back and started to really address looking at it and everything. And I started looking at, you know, how did it actually work in the real world? Was it actually working in the real world? And yes, it was. Uh, somebody asked me, uh, how prominent is this in the agricultural world? And I said, it's a remnant. That's all it is, is a remnant. But it's represented in every major food crop, every minor food crop, agroforestry, landscaping. There's not one um, discipline that uses, utilizes the soil that it's not active in and it's successful. Uh, I, know, I don't know of anyone who's gone down this road who's turned back. Because if you saw the pictures John showed last night of the, the, the greenhouses there at Heritage Academy, when you apply the right principles, it's just like when you apply the right truth to your life, it changes things for the better. It changes them. Anyway, we were talking about, I just want to give you a little bit of where I'm coming from. I asked the question, uh, if, if you wanted to prevent somebody from knowing the truth, you've got to, you, you've got to change the narrative so that their point of view and obscure the truth from them. So how would you do that? Let me read these two quotes. Uh, the first one is from Education, page 20. The system of education instituted at the beginning of the world was to be, and most, most of you have read these before, I'm sure, to be a model for man throughout all after time. How long? So we passed that time yet? No. As an illustration of its principles, a model school was established in Eden, the home of our first parents, the Garden of Eden was the schoolroom, nature was the lesson book, the Creator Himself was the instructor, and the parents of the human family were the students. Okay, so uh, there's the model that we're to follow. So you have to come up with a different model or a different narrative. And by the way, models have their way. A lot of the times the reason we fail at what we do and Quite honestly, the reason a lot of our institutions have failed at agriculture is because we're trying to employ a worldly model to achieve a, a spiritual objective, a heavenly objective, and the model always has its way. It always has its way. It doesn't matter how well-intentioned you are, whether it's in education or healthcare or agriculture or business, the model that you embrace will always have its way. 
And so if the model's wrong, then the outcome will be wrong. So basically what's being said here is in order for people to know the truth, what do they have to do? They've got to go to the garden. But not go there alone. Who, go, who needs to be there with them? The instructor. So we live in a world today where, and this has been told to me personally, that farmers are not needed anymore. Why do you suppose they said that? Well, there's plenty of food at the fast food restaurant and at the grocery store. You're laughing, but uh, I've been told this more than once. They did a, they did a survey, uh, a, a poll of the millennials. Do they call them that over here? The millennial generation. Now, when I say this, my daughter's a millennial of that generation and everything. And, and uh, when I'm saying this, I'm not saying that all millennials are this way. But far too many are, unfortunately. They were asked, if you could only have one, thing, one of these two things, which one would it be? An internet connection or sunshine and outdoors? What do you suppose they chose? The majority chose an internet connection. They were also asked if you had the choice between a robotic partner and a real partner, which would you choose? What do you suppose the answer was? Well, it wasn't the real partner, let's just put it that way. There is a different narrative happening in the world today. It is a narrative that separates us from reality. You know, sometimes it seems like we struggle with the idea, oh, do I have to move to the country? Do I really have to do gardening? Is it... Is it um, we look at it not because it's necessarily... We're just not familiar with it. We have all this stuff in the back of our head saying, well, farmers, everybody just treats farmers like they're fools. And, they, and uh, you know, it's not where the, everybody else is at. And then we have that coming in. We don't have any skills. You know, how, the, the, most people don't have any life skills anymore. And so it's a very intimidating and almost terrifying thing to people sometimes to, to think about it. And so the narrative has created this, this idea that the very thing that could actually anchor us into reality and as a result into truth is portrayed as something that's either archaic or unnecessary or demeaning. Or is it just me that is, gets that impression? You remember I read the verse, uh, Proverbs 29, 18, from the New King James, where there is no revelation, where there is no revealing, I like that version instead of vision, where there's, you can't see. Remember, Jesus said, seeing they can't see, hearing they can't hear. 
We're going to get to more of that in a minute. The people cast off restraint. Instead of the people perish, it's giving you why they perish here, the, the, the translation. The people cast off restraint. What are you seeing in the world today? I never thought I, could see, I would ever see the things that are happening in the world today. In our country, gender is a stereotype. Is that true here? Is that true? You can go to jail some places now for calling somebody by the, using the wrong gender when speaking to them. I read an article and the man who wrote the article said the last I knew it was a biological fact. But what happens when you become, when the narrative unanchors you from reality? When it unanchors you from truth? When you, when you go to the garden, you are engaging yourself in that classroom in the creative act of life within the sphere that God gave us. The one thing... Now, nature is broken. Nature is wearing out. Just like we're broken and wearing out. That's why God has to give us a new body and He has to create a new earth. But the one thing... Nature is not in rebellion like we are. And so, when you go and you engage in that process you get feedback. And most of the feedback that people get initially is not very pretty. They plant... It was interesting, when we moved to Kentucky out in Colorado, not a lot of people grow gardens anymore. It, the weather is not conducive to it, and you know the culture is different. But in Kentucky, people are poor, most of the people are poor, and they still grow gardens. And... The first time I traveled through there, it was in this, it was in the spring and the, the ground had all been worked and plants had been planted and they were all up and growing and everything looked beautiful. And I remember driving through about a month later and you would see a handful of gardens that were well cared for, but the majority of the gardens, the weeds had grown up and the, the, the pests had chewed them up and eaten them up and everything. And, um, my point is this. People ask me, oh, do I have to take a soil test? Do I have to know all this stuff? And I said, no. It was like I said earlier. Take a shovel or a digging fork and go out and dig the soil up and plant some seeds. And the class begins. Nature won't lie to you. You won't be able to cast off restraint. You will either humble yourself to learn the lessons or you will fail. There is no alternative narrative there. Um, but do you see how people can throw restraint off? Do you know what's interesting about almost every school of thought in agriculture? Let me read one more Bible verse here. Lamentations 2.9. The last part of it. The law is no more, and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. Virtually every school of thought in agriculture rejects 
a standard. They will accept some aspect of appropriate soil fertility, but they all reject a standard. And by throwing off the law, they lose their vision. And so you see, you know, a lot of these schools of thought have embraced the concept of evolution. And then people embrace the concept of evolution, and they're told, you know, in our, in our culture today, we have a, uh, especially in a spiritual culture, one of the things I just want to say is that the devil uses the same tactics in every discipline in life. The same ones. And so, you'll see today, say in the spiritual world, you hear a term called formation. Has anybody heard that before? If you're forming something, who's forming it? You are. What does the Bible say? What, what does Genesis 2 say? That God formed man from the dust of the earth? But then what happened? He fell, right? That form became deformed. So what term should you be hearing? Reform. But the world is being told a narrative of, and it's based on, again, that nature is evolving, and it actually leads to pantheism, the belief that nature is God. In the Library of Congress in the U.S., the place that everybody's supposed to go to gain knowledge, it's supposed to be the, 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 this bastion of knowledge, there is a panel up on the wall. And in that panel there's a quote that says, man is the true Shekinah. So the narrative being told is that you are evolving, you are advancing, you are forming your Godhood. Do you think that changes your perceptions about reality? Now, fortunately for us, um, God has put eternity in our hearts. And so you see happening in the world, now that same millennial generation, and it's not just um, in that only, gener only in that generation, it's in a lot of us. But within that generation as well, there are people, I was talking to my daughter about this, she said, you know, Dad, she said, there's a lot of us that just really want meaning. We want our lives to make, be meaningful. We want it to mean something. We want to contribute to, to life. Um, and so a lot of, and, and they're being, they bought into part of the narrative. And so they were told they needed to go get that education. And there's nothing wrong with education. Do you just want true education? But they just put themselves into debt for, you know, fifty, seventy, a hundred thousand dollars. And they're coming out of school and they're told that the economy is wonderful, another narrative that reality doesn't agree with. And 
they can't find a job. We have in our country, um, there, there's a big brouhaha now about slavery. We have identity politics coming out our ears. It's a, it's just a divide and conquer thing. But, you know, we've had a re- this really big issue with slavery again. I mean, by and large, it's not an issue in our culture anymore. But the ironic thing is, is that it's a, it's a distraction. Because we've enslaved ourselves to debt. And we've enslaved ourselves to our vanity and our passions and our appetites. Our obligation to life is long, and our ability to pay that obligation is way short. Things are coming unglued, and the narrative is saying everything is getting better. Can you respond if you believe the wrong narrative? What if you realize that you're a sinner? What if you, th- if you realize that things are deteriorating? They're getting worse. It, are your eyes open to that? So that you can appeal to God for an understanding, for help? It's a serious problem. And, they've, and unfortunately, people have uh, trapped themselves in it and are going to have to struggle to get out. God has opened a door wide open for His people. And He didn't wait for His people. There are huge numbers of people wanting to return to the land. Why do you suppose that is? They're in the middle of that rat race and all they have is the rat race. There's no time further relationships. By the way, we always, uh, the devil always substitutes stimulation for nourishment. And you can look at it in any facet you want. For, for literal physical nourishment, we have stimulation. All of the nutritive value of foods has been stripped away from it and stimulants have been added back. Salt, fat, and sugar. You just jack them up to the highest point you can. Now, is there something wrong with those? Do you know that the most nutrient-dense foods have the highest levels of salt, fat, and sugar in them? But they have everything else with them. God intended eating to be a pleasure. What about social relationships? We have replaced, actually, face-to-face relationships. Remember that, that poll I just mentioned? We've substituted face-to-face relationships with social networks, which are stimulating, but they're not nourishing. We've replaced, we've replaced pornography for intimate relationships. We've taken the most stimulating aspects of things and extracted them out, and we drive them. But they're not satisfying. Spiritually, we've done the same thing. And a spirit of prophecy points this out, that we want to hear sermons that are stimulating. They make us feel good, but they don't make us good. So we have a lot of people now who 
are unhappy. They're unhappy in that world. Really, the adversary has overplayed his hand because people are beginning to recognize that there is no life there. And so they're wanting to move back to a more natural, a more peaceful way of life. By the way, on the, um, do you know why on the poll they said they would rather live with a robot than a real person? Well, the same thing is true as it is in the garden. Is there anybody in here who's grown a garden and has never had a problem? Of course, we're going to have a conversation after I'm done. <laughs> has anybody been in a relationship that has never had a problem? You know, we've, you know, we tell our kids all the time, mom and dad love each other. But there are some times and some days we don't like each other. When you're in the real world, you have to face yourself. You have to face the reality of your condition. And so then you have to determine um, what conclusion do I come to? Well, a lot of people today are, when I don't get what I want, then I'm gone. They're not sticking around to face the problem and resolve it. And the same thing is with gardening. Well, I'll just go to the grocery store instead. But I said there's a wide open door here. People are wanting, are moving back to the country. They're wanting a simpler life. They're wanting something that's more meaningful. They want relationships again. Because what they had before was only stimulating. It wasn't nourishing. It wasn't satisfying. And are we prepared to answer that need? A lot of people are moving that God's put that in our hearts. And and we can't escape it completely. That Satan would like us to be able to escape it completely, because then he know he could he he knows that he could destroy us. But um, a lot of these people are moving back out into the country. But the narrative that they're believing, and therefore the perceptions they have, and the practices that they're employing, are not glorifying to God. Food is a neutral venue. A lot of people have become very cynical towards religion. And a lot of the younger generations, not to mention a lot of the older generations, you would not find very much interest in that kind of discussion. But they are very interested in food right now. And they're also very interested in relationships. I think I shared with this with some of you, but um, I have a friend over in Hawaii, and they had a, an item for sale on Craigslist, and a person called to inquire about that, coming by to see it, and they were just getting ready to sit down for lunch, and they, they told him, uh, well, we're just getting ready to sit down for lunch, but you're welcome to join us for lunch. Now, how would you respond to something like that? I mean, most people are not used to that kind of response. Well, the person said, well, I think it's okay if I can just come by. I only have about 15 minutes anyway. It's okay if I come by and just look at it. And they said, yeah, sure, it's fine. So he got there, and they showed him the item, and they said, you sure you don't want to eat lunch with us? And the guy, you know, 
based on the little bit of interaction they had, acquiesced, and he said, yeah, okay. Remember, he said he only had 15 minutes. We're afraid. We don't even know how to interact and react, you know, respond and, and relate to each other. Four hours later, he reluctantly left. The world is starving to death. It is starving to death for nourishment, physical nourishment, social nourishment, spiritual nourishment. And there's hardly any to be found. That's our mission. That's our mission, to nourish people, to give them something better, to let them taste and see that the Lord is good. I always tell, uh, when I work with growers, you know, Adventist growers, I work with a lot of growers who are not Adventist. I enjoy much more working with Adventist growers because they have a different priority. Um, that if you're going to go into the marketplace, take something better. So that when, pe- when people experience it, it impacts their life. It changes them. Isn't that what the truth should do? Shouldn't it change people's lives? I've shared this too, and I apologize to those I've already shared it with, uh, the wider group I haven't. But we, we had, uh, when I was at Eden Valley and we went to the markets there, we had no solicitation rules. So you couldn't bring tracks and hand them out or offer them or anything because it was on private property. So I always put the challenge every year, I did this for nine years, to the students, when we go to the marketplace, take the absolute best produce there is. And not just because it looked good, because it was good. Display it in the most beautiful way. And then present yourself in the most winsome way. And then let the Holy Spirit do His thing. And they would all, you know, every year I'd get students that were upset and said there was freedom of speech and, you know, all that. But I said, just try it. Just try it and see what happens. I said, once the person asks the question, the solicitation law is out the window. Because you didn't solicit the question. They did. And so we would go to the marketplace and, you know, they would get the idea, okay, well, People might ask us health questions and everything like that. But that's not what I was talking about. And sure, you know, sure, we got health questions from people and everything. They, you know, they enjoyed the produce and it, it changed them. It changed their health. But what always shocked the students was when a person would come up and ask a personal question. I was sharing, um, I remember who it was with. A woman who had been buying produce for a long time. She was in a car accident. And as a result, her lymphatic system was damaged. And she just, a very attractive woman uh, before, before this happened, but her, her body just bloated with, with fluid and everything. So, you know, she wasn't as attractive anymore, physically speaking. I mean, as, the, as a human being, she was the same person. And we were, re- we were always really busy. Didn't have enough staff there ever. She came one day, and she came walking around while I was helping a customer stood by me and said, my husband left me. He said, I'm repulsive. Is that a spiritual question? 
She wanted to know what was wrong with her. She was the same person. She just didn't look the same anymore. We had, I had a, I, I share these because they're, they're my favorite ones. I could share others. But we had a doctor that traveled two and a half hours each way to get produce. And I felt bad. And I asked him, why do you, you can't find anything closer so you don't have to travel so far? And his response was this. Um, I don't know what you do, how you grow your produce, but when we eat it, we feel better. We sleep better. We get along with each other better. When we wake up in the morning, we're more optimistic and hopeful. Now, he drove this two and a half hours twice a week, each way. And he said, if I have to drive two and a half hours to get whatever you're putting in that food, then that's what I'm going to do. Is that what the truth should do to people? It doesn't matter what avenue you reach people in, whether it's through the garden, or it's through a social interaction, or a spiritual interaction. Getting the truth into somebody's life is what matters, because it will change it. He would come in his $50,000, $60,000 Mercedes, $1,000 suit on, $500 shoes, and bring a cheap Ola lawn chair, and say, would you mind if I just put, set my lawn chair up and hung out here? I just want to breathe in the atmosphere. He'd take his shoes off and he'd walk out in the field. He said, I want to put my feet in the dirt. See if it does the same thing your food does. <laughs> Probably anchored him a little bit more. but Well, we're probably out of time. I'm not even checking here. Way out of time. Let me just close with this. We need to be in the garden. And we don't want to be there alone. We need to be there with the instructor. And we need to learn about life. So I want to close with a couple of verses. Jesus said that He came so that we could have what? Life and have it more abundantly. Was he talking about just eternity? I don't think he was. Deuteronomy chapter 30, and I'll start with verse 15. Uh, of course, Moses here has is, is given the instruction to the Israelites, and he's laying before them a choice. Verse 15, See, I have set before you today life and blessing and death and cursing. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. And the final one is Isaiah 55, verse 6. Isaiah 55, verse 6, starting with verse 6. 
Well, just verse 6. We'll just do verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Jesus had a crisis that he had to deal with. You remember the he's fed the 5,000 with the loaves and the fishes, which was actually probably more like 10 or 15,000 because that was just men. And the people wanted to make him king. Jesus didn't demonstrate any intention of that. The disciples wanted to make him king. He had to send them away. But the crisis resumed when he came to Capernaum and the people found him there. And they had to, they wanted to, I, had, I gave this sermon a couple weeks ago at my home church. And Jesus was trying to help them to see what reality was, what the truth is. That they just wanted the bread. Where's the bread? And Jesus kept continuing to try to help them to open their eyes to see. And the truth is that they, most of them, many of them, I won't say most of them, many of them refused to open their eyes. The narrative that they had been told was not the truth. And it has become so deeply entrenched in their lives that they couldn't give it up. And from that day forward, they didn't follow him anymore. So how dangerous is it not to be able to see? If you think going to the country and returning to the garden so that you can learn from the instructor is a hard thing, consider the alternative. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this has been a blessed time that we've been able to enjoy at this conference. I just pray that you would open our eyes and our ears so that we can see things as they are and not merely the way men report them to be because we want you to be our teacher. So I pray that if we're able yet now, whether you're able, that you're able to lead us back to that garden where you first placed us and to come again in the cool of the evening and instruct us that you will help us to do so. In Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.